we continue in that sense that God is here. Let the words of our mouths, the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to the one who is sovereign over all things. As I think about our life together at FBC, a question plays in my mind. How does our mission to seek the peace and well-being of the city connect with being participants on Sunday mornings and being community during the week? So in response to that question, I want to focus on two cities and a game plan. Sodom, Magnesia, and Leviticus. The first city is Sodom. Let me be clear, the the story of Sodom is not about homosexuality. Suppose you and I were each picked up by a helicopter and dropped into Sodom. We would be inside our worst nightmare, wide awake, no escape. A so- Sodom was a social political world in which self control is completely absent. No one feels accountable or thinks themselves responsible for their actions. No one is aware of harm they inflict on others. No sense, no discernment. Abuse is ubiquitous, public, unhindered, systemic. Everyone's aim is to survive and simply exist as best they can. Everyone does what he or she feels like doing. No holds barred. Boys follow every urge, and if they're smart and strong, they become predators. Girls have no safety, but if they're smart and strong, they become predators. Predators jeopardize their own humanity until they may forfeit it altogether. Sodom is a symbol of systemic sin. In Ezekiel 16, we read, Now this is the sin of Sodom. They were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before the Lord and to each other. Sodom is still with us. Auschwitz was a detestable practice. The murder of George Floyd is a detestable practice. People I know, people I've worked with, grew up in Sodom. Uh, Pastor Jeremy takes our youth to Camden in the United States on regular bases and after one of the first times, our one young woman who came back from Camden and I were downstairs in the fellowship hall, and she was telling me about her experience. And at one point, she leaned forward and she said, Joyce, I met a 10-year-old girl who found out I was 16. And she just leaned into me and said, 
you're 16 and you've never been pregnant? Think about a world where young girls cannot imagine that anyone has sexual safety. They certainly cannot imagine that they have it at all. The second city is Magnesia. And please forgive the gender-exclusive language that I'm going to use in this section because Plato at this point really was only concerned about men. Shame on him. <laughs> no, really, seriously. Um, Magnesia is a city that philosopher Plato uh, created as a thought experiment. He asked himself what an ideal city would be like. Uh, and he he explained his idea of an ideal city to two men as they walked along the road. Plato wanted his city to produce supreme happiness and brotherly affection for all its citizens. He described every detail of its creation. His first priority was that citizens would honor God as Plato understood honoring the Greek gods, among its people there would be moderation, no favoritism, no laws to serve the interests of the ruling class. Each farmer would provide food for his family's needs and for servants and slaves if he had them. For Plato, a person's soul was, should be, ought to be, must be his first concern. Next came an interest in his body. And lastly, it was a concern for his goods. Extreme wealth and poverty had no place in the city. Plato laid out sex rules and established family life at its core. It's fair to summarize Plato's thought by saying he wanted to gather together the good people, the like-minded people who would seek virtue and follow the law. He pointed out that magnesia would only work if it kept out people that weren't the right sort. Magnesia operated on a principle of exclusion. Plato's influence is felt in most Western and Eastern religions and cultures. Some of you may know that Nazism took Plato seriously in its policy of murderous exclusion. But Nazis also omitted everything Plato took to be sacred within civil life. Two cities. Now the game plan. When we look at Leviticus from the perspective of Sodom and Magnesia, certain things stand out. Between Magnesia and Leviticus, there are similarities. But if people followed a Leviticus game plan, Sodom would have been impossible. Magnesia was held together by gathering the best people and by excluding the wrong sort. Leviticus conveys, begins with, is oriented around God's kindness. It begins in a brilliantly astonishing place, a place so different 
It takes your breath away. Leviticus is an overview for the socio-political religious life of Hebrew people as they form community from the start. It's a game plan for Hebrew culture. The book is, was recited in public places so that ordinary people could hold priests and leaders accountable to it. It was taught to school children so they learned it by heart. Leviticus makes perfect sense during a pandemic. If you've never read it, now's the time. Repeatedly it says, if you do this, wash your hands. If you do that, wash your hands. Uh, wash your hands. Did we mention that you should wash your hands? Remember, wash your hands. The game plan focuses on worshiping God and working on relationships. If magnesia works from exclusion, Leviticus is inclusive and begins with a surprising, shocking really, description of humanity. Leviticus starts and ends with unintentional sin. The book begins by naming what goes wrong among us by naming all that happens as unintentional sin. Leviticus has guidelines about food rules, cleanliness, sex rules, physical, relational, community, health. But here is its essential game plan. People sin unintentionally. That's a description, not an excuse. Become aware of your sin. What does it take to become aware of sin? Becoming aware means having eyes that see. Becoming aware means having ears that hear. Becoming aware includes realizing we're responsible for our sin. Make a sacrifice to express that you get the significance of what you did. You are guilty. Make repairs. The hard hat. The fixer-upper. Make restitution. Make reparations. Experience forgiveness, which requires us to accept forgiveness. Feel forgiven. Know we're forgiven. And be confident of forgiveness. Because forgiveness is as good as it gets. What's absent in this game plan is any sense of wallowing in relentless, accusatory, guilty feelings. Accusation comes from Satan, not from God. Jesus worked with Leviticus and made improvements. In Matthew, he says, it's not what comes, it's not what goes into your mouth that makes you unclean. It's what comes out of your mouth. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
It's what comes out of our hearts that leads us to sin against God and other people. Jesus' improvements focus on the inner life and are consistent with Leviticus's guidelines against relational sin. It's just that Jesus knows perfectly well that people can make sacrifices in an outward, external way only. They can, and we do, skip the awareness part. In the New Testament, early Christians shifted shifted the emphasis away from food rules from Leviticus contexts. Because Jesus had said, what goes into you is not what makes you unclean. It goes out into the sewer. Jesus was practical. So a rumor began that there were no rules for people of the way. Paul began to hear people say, everything is permissible for me. So he worked out some principles. Following Jesus, Apostle Paul took awareness to a whole new level. Everything is permissible for me, he quoted, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but not every but I will be mastered by nothing. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins people commit are outside their bodies, but those who sin sexually sin against their own bodies. Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you. In this passage, Paul takes awareness to a whole new level. Now we have to think about what we're doing and think about its impact on us and on other people. I don't know how you feel about yourself. For me, I'm often painfully embarrassed about myself. Seriously, Lord, is this as good as it gets? We continually miss the mark. We fail God in some way. We hurt other people. We get hurt. At times, we refuse to be aware and repent. Yet circles of embarrassment and regret or humiliation and harm are incomplete cycles in Jesus' view. Can we say, ouch? Will we become aware and repent? In becoming aware of sin, we situate Jesus' instructions. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. You hurt people. People hurt you. Watch, so watch yourselves, Jesus said. If your brother and sister sins against you, rebuke them. Say, ouch. If they repent, forgive them. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and show them their fault. Make them aware. Just between the two of you, if they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they won't listen, take 
one or two others, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of one or of two or three witnesses. If they refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector, which from Leviticus means not exercising harsh treatment. Is Jesus not saying, make them aware? Let them know. Don't be silent. It's a human responsibility to become aware. Do you have faith in the power, the beauty, and the miraculous justice of God? I've come to believe that relational miracles are the most magnificent of all God's miracles. Yet for those living in Sodom, no interaction is safe. Repair may not even be possible. If you're living in Sodom, someone has to come to your rescue. Systems have to be brought down, as Jesus showed us when he cleansed the temple. Leviticus says the community is inclusive of people, whether or not they're our kind. In referencing aliens, the instruction is clear. Treat aliens as your own people. I'm not saying aliens were treated exactly the same. Leviticus says Hebrew people are God's servants and therefore can be slave to no, one, uh, to no other person. Leviticus assumes land belongs to God. People lease it for 50 years to the year of Jubilee and return it to its original owners. If God's people actually followed the Leviticus game plan, they would have eliminated generational poverty. They would have eradicated hunger and they would have ameliorated slavery. Yet Leviticus assumes Hebrew people are special. That's why Jesus had to say, you've heard that you should love your neighbor, but I tell you, love your enemies as you love yourself. It's also why in Luke chapter 4, Jesus had to be clear with the people of Nazareth that God healed people outside the Hebrew fold in the Old Testament, you know, that made them so mad they tried to push them over a cliff. Leviticus gives a remarkable reason for alien for treating aliens as their own, as one's own people. The Lord says, "Treat them as your own, because you know what it's like to be a slave in Egypt." At the core of the game plan is perspective taking, that is the heart of empathy. God has empathy for us. We are called to have empathy for others. Jesus came to show us that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit understand and have empathy for our frail humanity. God knows how we're made. Coming into this community each week and confessing our sin to each other publicly and from the heart is part of our mission. 
It's part of seeking the peace and well-being of the city. Confessing sin because we've become aware. Repenting of the ways we dishonor God, harm others, and harm ourselves. All of this counts in seeking the peace and well-being of the city. You are Edmonton. I am Edmonton. We are linked to one another in this place. The forgiveness we enjoy, we extend to other people. We greet everyone in Jesus' name. We fully, freely acknowledge the equal value of every human being. We greet them in Jesus' name, whether we say his name to them or not. Black lives matter. In this particular moment, we have relational work to do. That relational work begins with becoming aware. Because we have eyes to see and ears to hear. Canada's interesting. In 1867, the English accommodated the French. The French worked with the English. We had to cooperate to form this nation. It was remarkable when you consider the combative history of both those countries. But sadly, disastrously, no one and nothing made us collaborate with our indigenous peoples. As a nation, we sin against them. We have relational work to do. First of all, we become aware, eyes to see, ears to hear. We seek forgiveness and feel fully forgiven as we treat every human being with the dignity God has placed in them. Leviticus shows us that God is inclusive, and more than merely inclusive, God is for us. We have relational work to do. We have holy work to do. That holy work is captured in Leviticus and refined and deepened by Jesus. Love God with your whole heart, with your whole mind, with your whole strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That verse comes from Leviticus and from the mouth of Jesus. Let us, through the work of the Holy Spirit in our midst, become aware, receive eyes and ears that see and hear. Repent, feel deeply forgiven, and go out and live our freedom in Christ Jesus to be people who know how to love, who know and feel and share their empathy with others, who trust each other as we mature together in this community that's in repair, that we're continually becoming with the help of God. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen.